0: One day I came to Him, I was so thirsty, He gave me water, my throat was so dry, that they taught her that I had never dreamed of, but for this water, He said I thirst yet he made the rivers They said I thirst yet he made the sea Comes from God's throne above, and like a river, it dwells up inside me, bringing mercy like it. Said I thirst, that he may see.
1: Thank you for that song. That was a blessing. That's a great song. And that was, that was some good singing. That was the first time I've heard Brother TC sing. I've, I've, I heard he was a good singer. But uh, now I know. I, I appreciate that. That was good. Alright, if you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John, those of you that weren't here last week, we started a series of messages going through the book of First John. Uh, we've got the outlines inside the bulletins if you'd like them to follow along, and I, those outlines are there not just so you can follow along, but I encourage you to, if you get the chance, and maybe sometime during the week while doing your devotions, if you if you would take those and read through these scriptures and study this, and the whole book of 1 John is written that we may know that we have eternal life. He said that at the end of the book. These things have I written on you that believe. On the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. He teaches us through this uh, through this book. It's just a short book of the Bible. Five chapters. And he, he tells us how we can know that we're saved. And last week we went through chapter 1. And we're going to go through about half of chapter 2 today. Uh, I think I put all the verses on there. John 2, 1-29. We're only going to make it about halfway through chapter 2. But um, also... If, uh, you are interested if you need one of these outlines and weren't able to get one, I could get them for you. And if you miss any of these services or miss any of the messages or anything too, you can always go online and listen to them. Great thing about technology today, uh, you, can kind of, you can do that. And I, I really believe these messages can be a big help to you. It's so important uh, as an individual that uh, you make sure that you can take the Bible yourself and say, hey, this is how I know I'm saved. Uh, it's not enough, you know, just, you know, especially you kids, alright? A lot of times, people, kids will think they're saved because their parents told them that they're saved. Uh, listen, that's not, I don't want my assurance. My parents were there when I got saved and they, they could, uh, talk about it, but I remember it myself. And, uh, it's not enough just that your parents tell you you're saved. It's not enough that your pastor says that you're saved. I mean, you might, if you give me a testimony that lines up with the Bible, you know, I'll, I'll think you're saved, but I can't know it. Nobody can know you're saved except for you and God. And he and John teaches us in the book of First John how we can know. And so we're going to start out reading in chapter two, in verse one. It says, "My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous." And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray, dear Lord. I want to ask that You'll just be with me this morning as I try to to give this message. Lord, I pray that it will speak to hearts, and Lord, I pray You'll help folks to understand. And I pray that. You'll help all of us to just search the Scriptures, Lord, and uh, uh, because that's where we find out how to be saved, and that's where we should base our salvation. Lord, I pray You'll help us to uh, to learn how to do that through these messages. If there's one who isn't saved, Lord, I pray You'll help them to uh, get that taken care of, Lord, before it's eternally too late. In Your name, we pray. Amen. Notice how it says, "If any man sin." Now, there are some ifs that. There's a good chance, you know. I guess if this happened or if that happened, but usually there's, you know, there's some things they might not happen. But this one, if any man sin, um, that's this one's going to happen. This isn't a maybe. No, nobody in here, even after you get saved, you're not perfect. You're gonna, uh, we're gonna fail. We do it quite a bit. One thing that we got to be careful not to do when it comes to uh, church and religion and things is to focus too much on the people. Because the people are all flawed. You know, everybody's out there, there's people out there, they're always looking for that perfect church. You know, every time they go to a church somewhere, they'll start talking about about all the problems that the other people have in the church, and about all the problems that the pastor has, and all of his imperfections. And listen, I'm not making excuses for sins or anything like that, but I'm here to tell you today that anybody, if they ever, if you ever do find that perfect church, You don't want to go there because you'd ruin it. Because it wouldn't be perfect anymore. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't be able to go to that church because I'd ruin it. Because there are no, there are no perfect churches. There are no perfect people. And a lot of times we get focusing so much on those things, it causes some confusion. Sometimes maybe people, even themselves, they're going to look at themselves and they think about all their failures that they have in their life. And they think about all the mistakes they've made, maybe even since they made a profession, but since they got saved. And they get to thinking, there's just no way I could really be saved. But notice what John says here. He says if, that if ye, um, these things write on you, that ye sin not. He doesn't want you to sin, okay? this What I'm about to tell you here is not an excuse to go ahead and sin and think everything's going to be okay. It's not that at all. Uh, It's not that it at all. But it says, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ... Is our advocate when we fail? That word advocate, it's kind of—it's kind of like he's our lawyer. I hate comparing Jesus to a lawyer because you know they're known for all being crooked. But Jesus Christ, it's like he's our lawyer. You know, most of us, if we were to go to court today for something, I mean, we—you need to have a lawyer, okay? Because they're—they're expensive, and I know a lot of people want to do it without them. But a lot of times, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you don't have one. Because some of them prosecutors, boy, they're—they're they're slick, and they'll—I mean, they'll just. Get you all twisted up and turned up, and you're not going to know what to do because you don't know how it all works. You're not an expert when it comes to law, and it does help to have a good lawyer. And thank God that Jesus Christ, he's it's he's our lawyer when we fail. He's our he's our advocate. Verse two says, and he is the propitiation. That word propitiation it means he's our he's our atonement, and he's the one that did the work when he died on the cross he paid for our sins and he's also our defense against the accuser the devil he's like that prosec- he's the prosecutor he's the one that is accusing us of sin he's the one that's accusing us of doing things that we shouldn't have done and you know what here's a little side note here the things that the devil is accusing us of are things that are true things that we have done Revelation chapter 12 verse seven this is also John writing it says, "And there was there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not, neither was their their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. and I heard a loud voice in heaven. We're saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. But I want you all to see what's going on in this passage here. I mean, I hope I don't get too excited about this right here. But let me, what's happening here is what the Bible's telling us the devil, he's up there in heaven right now. And he's constantly, day and night, he is accusing the brethren. He's there standing before God. And he's reminding God of all the things that we have done wrong, all the laws that we have transgressed, all the sins that we've committed. I mean, and he's right. We have done those things. I mean, I can't imagine... I mean, it would be scary going to court. And it would be scary being accused of a crime. But it would be even more scary if it was something that you knew you were guilty of. I mean, you knew you were guilty. And to think that I could be put away in prison for the rest of my life. You know, if you were innocent, you'd have that hope that maybe you know justice would be done. But if you knew you were guilty, it would be, it'd be really scary whenever you hear that prosecutor and they're bringing all that evidence out against you and thinking, I'm in trouble because I did this. And they've got proof. And the devil, he stands there in heaven and he's accusing us of all those things that we've done, all those sins. He's constantly doing that to God. And the truth is, we do deserve death. We do deserve to go to hell. We do deserve the same fate that awaits the devil. But notice how the Bible says that they overcame Him, not by their works, not by their church membership, not by any of those things, but it says they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. It's Jesus Christ, His atonement. That price that He paid on the cross is the only reason that we're able to go to heaven. We get to looking at ourselves too much, and if we can see those faults, and you see those things that you've done, you can get to feeling guilty about it. And you know we ought to feel guilty for the sins we've done. But the problem is people get to thinking, there is no way I could possibly be saved. There is no way I could ever go to heaven. I'm not good enough. But listen, we don't overcome by our good works. We can't. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. If there's been a time in your life where you went to Christ and you asked Him for forgiveness and you asked Him to cleanse you from your sins, the Bible says last week we talked about the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. It's His work that He did. Don't let everybody, anybody accuse you of thinking you're better, you think you're better than somebody else because you know you're going to heaven. Or because you say you're going to heaven and others are going to hell. The only reason any of us can go to heaven is because of the work that Jesus Christ did. He is our atonement. He is our defense against the accuser. If He goes there, and the devil's right about the things that He's accusing us of. The devil's right about what we deserve. But Jesus Christ, He's able to stand there. And He still has those nail prints that are in His hands. And He's able to remind the devil and He's able to remind God that these sins have been taken care of. These sins that they've committed that the devil's talking about, they're all under the blood. They've all been paid for. It's already taken care of. Boy, what a wonderful thing that is. I mean, I remember one time I had a big bill from the hospital That we had to pay. Tommy, when he was little, he had to have a surgeon. I had this big bill I had to pay. And I thought, man, I I don't want to have to pay that bill. And it was one I was able to pay. And I remember I paid it. But then I remember I ended up getting a refund check in the mail for the full amount. I don't know why. I don't know who. But it had all been taken care of. I didn't have to pay that debt. I didn't have to pay that bill. And let me tell you, That was only a bill for 800 and some dollars. But I was thrilled to death. I was excited. And imagine our sin debt that is so great that we could never pay it to know that that has been taken care of. What a wonderful thing that is. And the reason so many people, I believe, are struggling when it comes to whether or not they're saved is they're always looking at themselves and their own works. And let me tell you, if you're doing that, you're never going to be satisfied. You're always going to be in doubt. But when we, when we're, when you rely on the price that Jesus paid. And His shed blood, you can rest assured that it's going to be okay. He's taken care of that. Our sins are all under the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank God for that. But then let's read on. We see more here in verse 3. It says, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him and keepeth not His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His Word in him, verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in Him. He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. As Christians, one of the reasons we do a lot of the things that we do or don't do some of the things that we do, it's not so we can go to heaven. It's because we are going to heaven and Jesus Christ, He's our example. He's our example for how We're supposed to live. People all the time, you know, if we preach against sin and if we, uh, you know, if we do certain things, they'll say things like, well, you're legalistic. Which legalistic means that you believe you have to work to get saved. We don't believe that at all. I wouldn't tell anybody, you need to do this and this and this and this, you know, all these works to get saved because it wouldn't save them. I don't believe that at all. But we do these things because Jesus Christ is our Savior because He saved us, and Bible says if we're saved, we're supposed to walk even as He walked. We're trying to follow His example, and notice the Bible says this. Okay, this isn't this isn't Pastor Tommy saying this. The Bible says this that if you're saved, you're going to obey His commandments. It said that in verse in John not first John but in the book of John. Chapter fourteen, John chapter fourteen, and verse fifteen. Right here, this is Jesus talking, not Pastor, not Pastor Tommy. That'll so don't get mad at me. But it says, "If ye love me, keep my commandments." Alright, Jesus said, "If you love me, keep my commandments." There's a lot of people that say, "Oh, I I love Jesus, I love Jesus," but they're boy, they're not following his commandments. They're not following his word. I mean they're involved in all kinds of wickedness and all kinds of junk. They're saying they love Christ. But there's absolutely no evidence. Jesus said, If ye love me, keep my commandments. First John chapter 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. You know, I I scratch my head a little bit and I wonder about people when they all they do is They'll say they're a Christian, they'll say they're saved, they say they love God, but they complain about all the commandments that are in the Bible. They talk about how hard it is, you know, being a Christian, you know, I know there's some challenges and difficulties, and how hard it is, you know, following the law of God, and they just complain and moan about it. But the Bible says, His commandments are not grievous. Why are you grieved by this? Why does the word why does it the word of God trouble you? Why, does, why do people get angry when a pastor gets up and he preaches the word of God and he just is echoing the commandments of God? Why like God's commandment to Why is that a problem? Why is that grievous to you? Why does, why does that bother you? You know, why do people get offended by the Ten Commandments? What's so offensive about thou shalt not kill? What's so offensive about thou shalt not commit adultery? Why is that offensive? The truth is, just because somebody says they're saved doesn't mean they are saved. The Bible says if you're saved, you will obey His commandments. We grow as Christians as we keep His commandments. Verse 5 says, "...but whoso keepeth His word in Him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in Him." It's perfected. It's, something, it's a work in progress. All of us in here today If you're saved today, you have not arrived, you still have not arrived yet. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't know who's been saved in here the longest, but I can promise you, none of us in here have completely arrived yet. We're still, we're supposed to constantly be growing, and we will finally have accomplished that someday when we're in heaven and we're like Christ. Now listen, we're not going to be exactly like him, we're not going to be perfect until that day comes when he gives us that new glorified body. But in the meantime, we're supposed to be working on it. We're supposed to be progressing. We're supposed to be trying to do better. It seems like many Christians today, the only time they, or people who call themselves Christians, the only time they read the Bible is to try to find excuses and loopholes so they can still go ahead and sin. And it's amazing some of the things that people come up with, but they do, man. It's like they, they spend all their time reading the Bible trying to justify sin. Listen, I'm not, nobody's saying you're going to be perfect. But well, we ought to be doing our best. We ought to be trying to obey His commandments. There are things that we should be doing. There's things that we should not be doing. And we're supposed to grow. It says, "He that saith he abideth in Him, ought himself also so to walk, even as He walked." We say, "Hey, I abide in Christ, Jesus Christ. He lives in me. He He lives in my heart." Well, then we ought to be walking as He walked. We ought to be doing the things that He do. I mean, the you know, we. Shouldn't be going places that Jesus wouldn't go. We shouldn't be saying things that Jesus wouldn't say. I know it. I was telling Brother Gomer. I was working on a lawnmower this week. A belt came off. And I'm trying to get that thing on. My wife was there. Man, I was getting mad. I was getting frustrated. I kept smashing my fingers and I kept getting mad. And I called Brother Gomer, I asked him how to do something. He told me, and I called him back, and I was like, I finally got it on there. But it took every bit of religion in me, every bit of Christianity in me to keep from cussing that thing. I was mad. I and it was only the Holy Spirit. That's not me. I was one to throw something, I was one to break things. And we've all we've all been there before. But God helps us because He dwells inside of us. And when we sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And that we shouldn't want to do that. We need to be I mean, making an effort. But most people they they don't even seem to care. They don't seem to try. And it causes me to wonder a little bit. But the question does come is, what about all these people who claim that they're saved, but yet are involved in all this sin? Once again, this isn't me talking here. This is from the Word of God. One term, I I know this isn't maybe a very nice term, but you see it a lot in 1 John. You see it a lot. In the book of Revelation, that was written by John, that is the word liar, liar. You know what? Not everybody out there's true, completely honest. You know, you don't have to go very far to find somebody that's going to lie to you. There's a lot of liars out there, a lot. I mean, I wish I could tell you everybody's honest. You know, I, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of looking for some vehicles right now. I get kind of scared doing that because some of them salesmen, man, they're slick. They'll lie to you, and boy, you know, and and you don't know, you know, you don't, and and you want, you gotta wonder, you gotta scratch your head, you know. uh, I've I've been nailed a few times when I was younger, when I first got married. I got nailed a few times by some of them phone salesmen. Boy, I mean, I got I got nailed a couple times. They were slick. They weren't completely honest. They didn't tell the truth. There's a lot of people out there that lie, and yes, even in churches even standing behind pulpits there are people that will lie and I'm not listen I'm not going around I'm not I'm not going to try to pick who all the liars are and neither should you but one thing we do see in the bible that word liar is used quite a bit revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It says all liars. Verse six or verse uh, verse verse four it says, "He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar." He says he's a li- they're a liar, and the Bible says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fires. So that means that the liars are going to hell. That means the liars are not saved just because somebody says that they are saved does not make them saved. There are people that are liars. And that's why we that's why he wrote gave us the Bible. That's why he gave us the book of 1 John so we can look at some evidence because you know what? There's plenty of places you can go. There's plenty of churches you can go to and the pastors and the preachers there they will Make you feel good about whatever sin that you're involved in. They'll tell you you're okay. They'll tell you you're still on your way to heaven. No, you don't need to worry about repenting of any sins. You know, just go ahead and do whatever you're doing. And they're involved in all kinds of garbage, and they're living wicked lives. And you say, but they say that they're saved, and they're not keeping his commandments. Listen, I'm not trying to pick who the liars are, but the Bible says it's right there. He that saith I know Him and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And once again, we see in the first verse, it said mistakes, they happen. Okay, We're all humans. We fail. But someone who constantly lives in sin, constantly doing the same things over and over again, and they say they're saved, they're a liar. If I came to you after the service and you come by to shake my hand, and I kick you in the shin. You know what? I can I can say, you know what? You know, I, I've got I, I got anger issues. I just remembered something that made me mad and I just kicked you. I'm sorry. Uh, please forgive me. I'll never do that. I, I'm sorry. I really didn't mean it. And you might believe me. But you know what? If I do it again next week, and I'm doing it week after week after week, pretty soon I'm going to say I'm sorry and you're going to say, you know what? No, you're not. You're a liar. You're not sorry. You're doing this on purpose. And I'm sorry, but people who constantly are living in sin and constantly going against the commandments of God and saying that they love Him and saying that they're saved. And I'm sorry. Liars. That's what the Bible says. And i tell you, people get very confused by that because they see all the garbage that's going on in churches today and they see all the sin and they think that they can hang on to that sin and get Christ at the same time. And listen, no man can serve two masters, the Bible says. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So, liars. This, he's been talking about this. This is not a new commandment. Verse 6, He that saith... I abide them also to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which he have heard from the beginning. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 45. Way back in Leviticus. God was talking, to you. he said, be ye holy for I am holy. He said, this is why you need to do it. This is why you need to be holy. Because I'm holy. Now of course, the children of Israel, they weren't perfect. They had problems. But God wanted them to do their best to follow Him. And He said, here's why. Because I'm holy. You need to be following Me. We're supposed to be following Jesus Christ. And for us to have this idea that we can be saved and be just as wicked as the rest of the world, just as wicked as the devil, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. We're supposed to follow His example. So also, also we see in verse 8, uh we'll start at verse seven or no, sorry verse eight. Again a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. This here is not talking about your biological brother. This is talking about your brothers in Christ or your sisters in Christ. One thing we see here that Jesus Christ is our inspiration to love. Now he's talking about a new commandment. You know, back in the Old Testament, I mean, there was those verses like, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Hand for hand, foot for a foot. Sometimes Christian people still quote that like we're still supposed to do that today. But Jesus, He gave a new commandment. That you love one another. He also, He gave that commandment, you know, that we turn the other cheek. Alright, now we're, we're under grace. We don't do that anymore. And Jesus Christ, He is our inspiration of in love. Notice how He says, anybody who says that they walk in the light, but they hate their brother, abideth in darkness. Now remember, this isn't me talking. This is the Bible. If you cannot love God's people, then you have something missing in your life. You are not saved. You're walking in darkness. You know That's a bold statement. I can say that because that's in the Bible. You know, there's many people today who quit going to church and who don't like going to church and they'll say it's because I love Jesus, but I just can't stand all those people in the church. And listen, I'm sorry... But you cannot love Jesus and not love His people. Now, I can find some excuses for me why, but that's what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. And I'm going to show you why I believe that that is the case. Not just because the Bible said it. But Jesus Christ, He's our inspiration to love. If we are in the light, we will love our brethren. Notice now, when you talk about being in the light, okay? when you're in the light, that means you can see you can see what's around you. You can see. I, I can see who is in this room. If we were to be able to get, you know, turn off all the lights and close the windows, where no light was coming in here, I'd be in trouble. I, I if I started walking around, I'm going to be bumping into people. I'm going to be tripping over things. I mean, you, we've all been there before. You've been walking through a dark room and you've tripped over something, or you stubbed your toe, and you almost lost your religion there for a little bit, you know, because of that that pain. Boy, there's something about that toe. You know, when you hit it, it just makes you want to say things that you shouldn't. And we've all been there. That's what it's like when you're walking in darkness. But there's people today that they say they're saved, but they're walking in darkness. And the evidence of that is the fact that they do not love their brethren. And it says in verse 8, again, a new commandment I write in you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. Why is it that God, why is it different now? Than it was maybe in the Old Testament. Why is God so adamant about this loving one another? About loving our brethren? Because listen, I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes the brethren can be difficult to love. Uh, you all keep coming to church for a while and you all get to know each other. You're going to say we all have faults. There's going to be things about each other that you're going to find maybe a little annoying, and a little irritating. And sometimes people are going to do things that might make you mad. And you know you're going to be tested. It's like that everywhere. Even a husband and wife sometimes they want to strangle each other. Sometimes, don't they? But you know, you don't, you don't because you, because you love them. But why is it that God expects that from us? And why is it why is he so adamant about it? Because here's the here's the thing: if anybody ought to know how to love those who are unlovable, it ought to be us. You know why? Because Jesus showed us how. He did it for us. See, many people in churches today who are not saved, they have this idea that I am this good person because I'm, you know, I'm a pastor or I'm a deacon in the church or I'm this you know, upstanding citizen in the community and they think that they're really special and they get to looking down at maybe people who haven't, aren't as good as they are and they get to thinking they're great. But people who've really been saved they understand that when Jesus Christ saved them, that they didn't deserve it. They realize that they're, that, I mean, they deserve to go to hell, and Jesus Christ still loved them. He still saved us. I mean, our righteousness is a filthy rag in the eyes of God. I mean, we're like, there's a passion Bible where we're basically like a bunch of maggots. That's, I mean, when you look at a holy God, when you compare a holy God to sinful man, there is no reason in the world why God should have loved us. There is no reason in the world why God should have sent His Son to die on the cross for us. But He did because of that unconditional love that He gave us. And if you've been saved today, you've experienced that. You've experienced somebody loving you when you didn't deserve to be loved. You've had that happen to you and God expects you to be able to do that same thing for other people. There's going to be people that come through here that have problems and that have some serious issues in their lives and maybe are undesirable people. But we've experienced what it's like to be loved when we didn't deserve it and we ought to be able to do the same thing to other people. And a person who cannot find forgiveness in their heart. They don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside them. I I just can't I can't seem to find any place for forgiveness. I can't find forgiveness in my heart. Was the Holy Spirit in your heart? If, if Jesus Christ is in your heart, you can find it right there. That's what I have to do sometimes. You know, I'm I'm a typical person. Sometimes I can get to thinking maybe I'm better than other people. But you know what? When I all, whenever I do that, the Holy Spirit He speaks to me and He reminds me of what He did for me when He saved me. He reminds me of that. Hey, I saved you from your sin. I saved you when you were only five years old and I protected you from all that sin. That could have been you. You could have been in that situation. You could have been the drunk. You could have been the drug addict. You could have been the prisoner. You could have been any of those things. And I'm reminded of that. And it helps me to be able to find love for people who maybe don't deserve it. Because the Holy Spirit's in it. I've experienced that. I'm in the light. I know what it's like. I've seen it before. Just this week, uh, just this week me and the boys, we were in Peoria. And we went driving through this park. I don't know, anybody ever seen the Festival of Lights in Peoria? Anybody ever drove through that? It's, it's really neat and real beautiful. Since I was a kid, every year for Christmas, we drive through there. And I've never drove through there in the daytime before. And we were driving by there. I was like, you know what? Let's go through that. See what it looks like in the daytime without all the Christmas lights, and you know what? We almost didn't recognize it. Part of it was on a golf course, and we're like, we, we didn't we didn't know that there was all this there was all this stuff there. I mean, it was almost unrecognizable. We had no idea. You know what the difference was? Now we were seeing it in the light. We saw things more clearly, and it and things kind of made sense. to us before it was dark when we would go through there, and many people today, the reason they can't find that love. For other people is because they are still in darkness. They can't. They can't see that. They can't see what I'm talking about. When uh, when I I talked about that Jehovah's Witness that came to my house and how I was explaining how we're just the Gentile dogs and didn't see that. It it didn't make sense talking about being a sinner. How we're all sinners. We don't deserve heaven. We can't earn our way to heaven. And just kept getting this puzzled look on his face. Know why? They haven't experienced that. He hasn't experienced the salvation of God. He hasn't experienced the love of God, and it's it's darkness to him. And many people today who are sometimes in church or maybe out of church, and they're always talking about the brethren in a negative way. I'm sorry, according to the, based on the Word of God, they're not saved. But when you hate your brother or sister in Christ. You're in great danger of stumbling, stumbling, because hatred it leads to many destructive sins. Bitterness. Oh, I used to do this in the church, but I quit because so and so did this. You know, this person, uh, you know, did this in the church. You know, they they sang my song, they sat in my pew. You know, they stole my crockpot from the fellowship. I mean, listen, <laughs> that kind of stuff's going to happen. It shouldn't happen, but it's going to happen. I hope nobody ever steals your pew, but it might happen. But well, you know what? If you have that love of Christ God in you, you're going to let that go. You're going to let it go. But when you hang on to it, it's destructive and it's going to cause you to stumble. It will cause you to get out of church. It will cause you to get out of the will of God. It will cause you to lose that joy that you had... In salvation. Verse eleven says, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. You see some of the mistakes that people make, you see some of the things you are doing, and you think, How can they do that? The truth is, they're in darkness. They're you know, if somebody came walking in here who was blind, if they it was their first time in this church and they came in here and they were blind, if they didn't have anybody helping them, you're going to see them having trouble. They're going to have trouble finding the auditorium. They're going to have trouble, uh, you know, not tripping, and they're going to have trouble. not... you know why? Because they're blind. They can't see. Everything is uh, is darkness to them. And the reason many people cannot seem to move forward in their Christian life is because they're still in darkness. They need salvation and. Jesus gives us some evidence here. Some things that we can look at is are we following Jesus Christ? Are we keeping His commandments? Are these commandments grievous to us? If they're, if they're grievous to you, if you're not keeping them, you may want to check your salvation. But if, He says, hereby we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Those things that we do right as Christians, it's not because we're great people. It's because Jesus Christ dwells in us. He gives us victory over sin. That stuff could take any of us if we were not if we're not careful. The other evidence he gives is do you love the brethren? Do you love God's people? Do you love being around God's people? I love being around God's people. I love being in church. I love it. I like I like going and visiting other churches where I don't even know anybody. I get there's you get along with those people fast. You know why? You got something in common. They're your brothers. They're your sisters in Christ. You're gonna you're gonna you're not gonna be able to help but love those people. Then finally, First John chapter three, verse fourteen, he expresses it real, real clear. We know that we have passed from death unto life. That's what happens when you get saved. You pass from you're spiritually dead. Now you've been resurrected spiritually. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Years ago in King's kids. This was one. Of, this is one of the verses that they learned in King's kids. And there was this kid. He came to say it to me. He wasn't the best at reading. He said, "Hereby we know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the breathing." <laughs> I thought, "Yeah, yeah. When you're alive, you love breathing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's not what it's talking about. Because we love the brethren. If you, you love God, that that's good evidence there. But if you're constantly getting mad, at everybody and hating everybody and..." You know, I don't want to go to that church. I don't want to be around those people. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. You're you're not going to be able to help but loving God's people. These are evidence that God gives us so we can know that we have eternal life. And I hope hope you'll search your heart. I hope you'll ask yourself these questions. Does this apply to me? Because this is how we know that we're saved. How we know we've passed from death unto life. So let's stand together with our heads.